Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Do you have a place besides work and home that you frequent? A home away from home? A place where you can go for some solitude or perhaps some connection? A place where conversations can be light and playful or deep and vulnerable? A place to come together to share good news and celebrate? Starbucks has been just that and more for so many people. Starbucks's mission is to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Today, I have the privilege to sit down and talk with Howard Behar, who has spent over 50 years in business, all consumer-oriented, with 20 of one of those years spent at Starbucks, where he led the domestic business as president of North America and was the founding president of Starbucks International, where during his tenure, he participated in the growth of the company from 28 to over 15,000 stores. His leadership did not follow a traditional model. He led using a servant leadership style. Howard says, we're in the people business serving coffee, not the coffee business serving people. Basically the same words rearranged, but with a completely different meaning. Hi, Howard. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Okay. So not everyone has a desire to take on a leadership role in their career. Did you know early on you wanted to lead or is this something that came to you and you discovered over time? Well, I think that we all leaders, right? Of some kind or another, maybe the only person we lead is ourselves, but we're still doing that work. And I think it was just kind of a, you know, evolution of, I found that I had some skills that that weren't really what I call conscious skills. They were just innate skills that I had. And over time, um, they became more conscious. And as I started to study servant leadership, then I wanted to be a conscious, competent at, at servant leadership, which means that, you know, I could do it and I could teach it. And so that's that's kind of been my journey over time. And, you know, I, I look back at my life and there were times when I had leadership roles and in some in nonprofit organizations or in, in different kinds of organizations as more as a youth in college and stuff. But, but really leadership and business kind of came along, you know, in my mid twenties when I really started to be conscious about it. Okay. So for somebody who doesn't really understand or have heard of servant leadership, how would you describe that model? Well, in its simplest terms, it's that instead of the idea that leaders are here to be served, it's that leaders are here to serve. And what that means is this, is that you help your people grow as human beings and help them grow as professionals and help them achieve the things they want out of their lives. And in so doing, they wanna help you and your organization achieve its goals. And it's pretty much that simple, rather than the idea that, that people are here to serve you, you really turn it on its head and you're here to serve them. And, and by doing that, you know, it changes the dynamics in an organization. People want to be there. They felt they feel respected. They, they are treated with dignity. And, you know, that's how that's how I believe it should work in an organization. Yes. OK, so I feel like that can be really hard for some 
leaders because of like a lot of people in businesses maybe feel like if they have the control, um, and it's like from the top down, then things are going to, um, follow the path that they have in mind. So, um, like, what do you say to someone who is currently using that style of leadership? Like why is servant leadership such, um, I don't know, a powerful way to serve. Well, the, the difference is between, between uh, fear and desire. So under one style, uh, it's about fear that if I, if I don't do what the boss tells me to do, then I'm going to get fired. And, and then the other st- style is that I can have a conversation with the boss about a difference of opinion, right? And, and sometimes, you know, you, you kind of, you're able to influence and sometimes you're not, but in, in, in the first style of leadership, it's autocratic, right? You do as I say, you do it when I want you to do it. But there's no guarantee of success when you do it that way. As a matter of fact, there's more probably a guarantee of not success because people don't want to be there. They're there because they have to have a job. And if people are only there because they have to be there, then they're not going to perform to their best of their abilities. And so I just believe the other way. Look, servant leadership is about performance. I, I don't want anybody to misunderstand that. At the end of the day, you have to you have to live up to your commitments, right? You have to do what you promise to do. But we, you don't grow the business on backs the backs of people. You grow the business with people. And there's a difference and uh, they're not your servants, right? People that work in your organization, not your servants. You know, they're, they're your co-partners. They're, they're your cohorts. You know, they're, they're the people that you work with every day. And we, if we treat them with respect and dignity and we help them achieve their goals then they're going to want to help us. Yes, that's so, so true. I love that. I've been on both sides of the equation. I've worked in organizations where they were autocratic leaders and let me tell you, it was nearly as much fun and as enjoyable as doing it the other way of being in a servant-led company. And I will tell you that the, the all every company I've been in that has been the autocratic way struggled. Mm, okay, so there's no guarantee of success if you're a servant-led company. You do it because you want to do it. You do it because you believe it's the right way to lead an organization. Servant leadership is is less about a leadership model and more about a way of living about how you treat other people in your lives, in your life. Oh, I love that. And I feel like your career most times is half of your life. So if you are want to be there and want to um, put your time and energy and you're aligned with the values of the people who are leading you and you're, you can have an opinion and have a conversation and uh, grow yourself and with the company, then um, overall, like life- would be so much more enjoyable because that's where you spend half of your time. So, so you started then with Starbucks at 28 stores. So how did you get into the company? What did that look like? Well, it was, uh, you know, it was almost, I turned right instead of turning left. I had met this young guy named Howard Schultz, who's kind of the modern day founder of today's Starbucks. He wasn't the original founder, but he, he, and I met when I was just out, out of a, out of a job that I had held for a while. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And he was looking for a vice president of operations and we had breakfast and, and he had his criteria listed out. The first, he wanted a college degree. I didn't have that. 
Second thing he wanted was food service experience. I didn't have that. Finally, we got to number 10. Can you breathe? Yes, I could breathe. But unfortunately, I didn't qualify for what he wanted. And I was actually looking to buy a business at the time. I didn't really want to go to work for somebody again. And anyway, so I ended up you know, going on and he went his way. And a year later, our, we, our paths crossed again because of somebody that had worked with him at, at this little company called Starbucks. And so the guy said, hey, you need to come back and talk to Howard again. We have still haven't hired him, but you'd be perfect for this job. And I said, well, I've been down this path. I don't know that I, anything's changed with me unless something has changed with Howard. But Howard and I went and talked again. And I said to Howard, I said, Howard, before you extend an invitation for me to join Starbucks, or I, I agree to accept, how about if I work in the company for a week? I'll work for free. I'd like to work in the, in the plant, the roasting plant for a few days. I'd like to work in the trucks for a few days and the stores for a few days. At the end of that week, if you still feel that I might fit and I feel that it's the right place for me, then let's have a conversation. And that's what happened. And he extended an invitation for me to join after that week. And I knew that it was the right place for me. And, you know, because I, I saw early on that it, it wasn't about the coffee. It was about oh. the people. Okay. I love that. I just have to go back to one story that I've heard that you've talked about before about like you showing up, you didn't necessarily check off all of the skill, all of the yeah. uh, points on the list, but you gave your time for free. And yeah. that kind of leads back to a story from your childhood when you were uh, in the market with your father. Can you talk about that? Sure. Well, my dad had a, my dad was an immigrant and uh, to Seattle in the early 1900s. And he opened up a very small mom and pop grocery store. And, uh, and so I, you know, I would go to, after school, I would go to the store because there was nobody home. My mom was working in the store as well. So I, one day I was in the store and I was up by the front counter. Excuse me for one minute. Tucker, <laughs> Tucker no, no. Sorry. Oh, it's you... all good. Okay. All right. So, um, and so I was standing up by the front counter and he was ringing up a customer on the register and he asked me to go get a couple of baskets of strawberries and out of the back. And I, I can never remember if it was strawberries or bananas. You have to forgive me, but, but anyway, to get some fruit out of the back. And so I did, and I brought it back up to the front and he took it and he put it on the customer's back. And I was old enough to realize that he hadn't rung them up on the cash register like he always did. In those days, the cash register was one of those cash registers that had 10 keys across the top, 10 going down, and you'd punch all the buttons in and you'd pull the handle and it would go bing. Well, the bing didn't happen. So I knew that he hadn't rung up the, the fruit. So the customer left and I said to my dad, I said, dad, you forgot to ring the fruit up on the cash register. And he just looked at me and said, you know, Howard, not everything we do in life do we need to get paid for. I have these people are not just our customers. They're our friends and our neighbors. And I also happen to know that they're in tough times right now and they can't afford fresh fruit. And so it's just my way of saying thank you to them. And, and I never, you know, I didn't realize the importance of that lesson at that age, but over time I remembered it and I never forgot it. Now to everything we do in life, do we need to get paid for? And, you know, we just, sometimes we need to just let go of that idea that we need to be re rewarded, recognized or paid for something that we do. Sometimes we just do it because it's the right thing to do. That is such a beautiful lesson there. I feel like a lot of time that is like the expectation is the, an equal exchange of whatever it is yeah. where, right. um, yeah, that's such a beautiful lesson that you don't need to get paid for 
everything that you do. You can just show up and um, serve without the expectation of receiving something in exchange. And it's the same way you don't need to be recognized. If you're working in an organization, you do something well. Now, it's nice to get that recognition. Hopefully, your organization or, or the leadership does. But sometimes you don't do it for that reason. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. And I feel like if you are working for an organization that has this great set of values and this different style where the culture can be felt, then um, just probably internally, you'd feel a lot um, better about working for the organization and have that internal satisfaction and not maybe need the recognition from the top up or from your peers or whoever is there. Right. Right, exactly. Okay. So in your book that you wrote, I want to start with, you have 10 principles. um, And in there, the first principle was know who you are. So there's so much noise in the world. We grow up and we kind of catch different things or are influenced or depending on our circumstances, we maybe take on stuff that isn't ours. So what is that process like? Like, how do we actually figure out who we are so we can show up wearing that one hat, like you say? Well, I think you start with determining what your values are, what your core values are, what your eight to 10 core values. These are the things that inform all the actions and the decisions you make in your life. So, you know, my first core value is honesty. And so that, that always informs my life, right? That I'm an honest person. Do I, have I ever told a white lie? Yes, I have. And, uh, and have I ever lied? Yes, I did as, as a youth. But would I do I do it now? No, because it informs my life. And if you go online you'll, and you type in human values, you'll find a list of core values, maybe 300 words that represent human values from ambition to greed, to love, to caring, all the things that are human values. And, and you, you need to go through that list and you get it down to 50. And it takes a while to do that. doesn't mean that there aren't other words that describe who you are, but you're getting it down to the 50 that have meaning to you. And then getting it down to eight to 10 is a lot more difficult. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that there aren't other words that describe you, but these are the eight to 10 that really drive your life. Come hell or high water, this is how you live your life. So you get those eight to 10 core values and then you define what they mean to you. Because if I said to a room of a hundred people, uh, are you honest? Probably all 100 people say, yes, I'm honest. But we might have a different definition of honesty, what we might lie about, what we won't lie about. And so you have to define it for yourself because that's going to inform the decisions you make in your life. So you're working for a company and your boss comes up to you and says, you know, we didn't quite make our numbers last month, but if we could just budge this one little thing here, it's not going to hurt anybody, right? And you're going to have to make a decision. Do you do what the boss wants? Do you lie or do you not? And, and that's why it's important to define who you are through your core values. And then you should have a personal mission statement. How do you, what do you stand for? What are you trying to do in your life? My personal mission goes like this. Every day I want to nurture and inspire the human spirit, beginning with myself first and then for others. And I plagiarized that from Starbucks in the early days when we did it. And I, I so attached to that. That's how I've lived my life ever since, is that I'm here to nurture and inspire the human spirit of other people as well as myself. And so then the third piece is something that uh, I developed for myself, which is how do I want to live my life, right? And so I had what my six, I developed my six P's. The first P is uh, purpose. Everything I do in my life has to have a purpose greater than myself. 
The second P is if I have a purpose greater than myself, then I darn well better be passionate about it. Scream it from the highest mountaintop. Be energized by, by it. The third P is persistence, is that everything in life takes persistence. As we travel around down the rivers of our lives, there are rocks. And sometimes the rocks are below the water level. We can't see them. And we go, boom, we crash into them. And, you know, we've, you know all of a sudden we get shake, shaken up and we got to figure out how to get over them, around them, or through them, or under them. You know, we got to deal with them. Sometimes the rocks we can see, and for some reason we still crash into them, right? Even though we see them, those are the ones that people tell us about, right? Your, your mom or dad said, watch out for this in life. And we still do it. And then, and then there's the, the rocks that we put there ourselves, right? And, and we're, human beings are capable of putting a lot of rocks in their own rivers. But, but we still have to be persistent to get around them or through them or over them or under them. Because in life, it takes persistence to get what you want. And so then the fourth P is patience. You'd say, gee, that's the opposite of persistence. No, it's not. You have to be patiently persistent, right? Because not everything comes in the time frame that you want it to come. So sometimes you have to, you know, you have to be a little patient with things. And particularly with other people, people don't always get what you're talking about at the very beginning or what you want at the very beginning. So you have to have patience with them. Most important person you have to have patience with is yourself. Right. And we don't, usually we don't have a lot of patience with ourselves and I'm kind of an impatient person, but I am persistent too. So then the fifth P is performance. Performance matters. You know, none of us like to get measured, but the facts are we're getting measured every day. If you have, if you have a spouse or you have a significant other living with you, then you're getting measured all the time, whether they say it or not, you know, you leave your socks on the floor, you know, they're thinking, why did he or she leave her socks on the floor? Right. Or, or, you know, you're supposed to take out the garbage. You didn't take it. You know what I mean? We're getting measured all the time against things that we've committed to do. So performance matters in this world. And if you're at work, performance matters. If you make a commitment to your organization, to your boss, to your coworker, then you better tell them if you're not going to make it early, not late. Um, and then, uh, then the sixth P is people. There's nothing we do in life that isn't about serving other human beings, period. I don't care what your job title is. I don't care what your role is. Everything leads towards serving other human beings. Doctor, lawyer, engineer, fire chief, architect, widget maker, the lowly widget maker that makes a widget that goes into a printing press that gets purchased by a publishing company that produces a magazine or newspaper that gets delivered to somebody's home to inform or entertain them. The widget maker has a greater purpose to help those people have a better life. And we forget it and we don't recognize it. Yes. You know, it is about people and it is about a purpose greater than ourselves. Gosh, okay, so, so. And then you need to have a plan, you know, well, how you want to live your life? What are your goals? What are you trying to achieve in your life? Because if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. And much better to live a life with intention than with not, with un, unintentionally let things happen. You don't want to wake up when you're 60 years old and look back at your life and say, what did I do? You know, you want to have, you want to have set goals and to work towards achieving those goals. Doesn't mean you want to, you'll achieve everything you set out to do, but you want to be able to look back at your life and say, "Hey, I did pretty well." Oh, I love that. Okay, so how do you stay in alignment with um, those P's and your your values and goals? Are there like certain habits that you have? Um, yes. Okay. So I I all those things need to be written down. And I have one piece of paper that I carry with me or it's on my iPad uh, or on my cell phone and it's Howard in 50 words or less. 
It has a picture of Howard in 50 words or less. It has my uh, eight core values. It has my mission statement and it has my six Ps. And I look at that all the time. And then I do affirmations, you know, uh, about things that I'm trying to do or things that, about myself. So the affirmations that stayed with me probably the longest of any is uh, I love myself unconditionally. And the second was I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. And those remind me that I'm a whole person no matter what. And no matter what, whether I achieve my, all my goals or not, I'm still a whole person. And so that that's a big part. But I also have my plan written down. You know, I have, I have the uh, areas of my life. And by the way, I do this in, with my wife. We do it together. She has her own goals, but we have common goals too. So uh, with the headings, typical headings might be spirituality, material, economic growth, well-being, personal growth. Um, we have children, our children, our grandchildren. Um, our, um, we have travel. We have. Um, uh, we even have a statement of purpose for our marriage. And those things guide us. And when we set those goals, and they're one to five year goals. Uh, and you know, we've done that for since we've been married for 45 years. We've done that for almost all 45 years. Not every year, but but we do it. And then that guides us, and that helps direct our energies. Okay. So you frequently check back in and reflect yeah. and revamp, um, as the years go on to, sure. yeah, keep you guided the guiding, the guiding light forward. Yeah. I think that's so important that a being clear about what these things are for you personally, and then having them written down. So, um, when things maybe aren't going right or something comes up or, you know, we're all human and have made mistakes and, um, can feel shameful or embarrassed or whatever, that we can go back to our core values and our mission yeah. statement to, to kind of bring us back on the path. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay. So another thing that you say is think independently. So the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. Can you talk about that analogy and what it means? Well, you go out and you hire great people and you bring them into your organization, the first thing you do is give them the handbook, the company handbook. And in the handbook, it says all the things that you're not supposed to do in threat of death, you know, so to speak. But we bring great people in because we think they can contribute. So if you're bringing somebody in to sweep the floors, and I use that as the analogy, then who would know better what kind of broom to use than they would? The purchasing department doesn't know what kind of broom to choose, but yet the person, purchasing department wants to make the decision. Instead, we should be listening to the people that sweep the floor. You, you, you help them set the goals for floor sweeping. We want the shiniest floors in the city of Seattle, right? Whatever that means. And now, and then you let them go and you give them a broom. They can choose. You might have two or three brooms to choose from. They can choose whatever one they like. And then they come back about two weeks later and they're excited about something. You can tell they're excited about something. And you say, what's going on? He says, well, Howard, you know, I think I can increase floor sweeping productivity and have the shiny floors that I know we all want with the new broom that I found on the internet. You know how many bosses would just shake their head and said, just sweep the floor and shut up. You know, you're just, you're just a floor sweeper. Instead of listening to them and saying, okay, tell me about that broom. And then giving them the opportunity to go out and buy that broom. Because you never know when somebody's going to come up with something that's better than, than, than you already have. I mean, think about all the things that have been invented. Look at, look at McDonald's with the breakfast sandwich, the egg McMuffin. That was invented by a franchisee. Well, they could have ignored it, 
the guy at 3M, you know, the post-it notes? Yeah. That was guys are working on some kind of glue for completely other purpose. And they come back with this idea, right? So, the, you know, you got to listen to your people. Doesn't, I'm not pleading for anarchy here. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying, give your people a chance to talk about the things that they think about and ask them, what can we do for different to improve our performance or serve our customers better? You'll be surprised what you learn. So that's what it's about. Yeah, that's so true that I think even as myself and I'm thinking of like collaboration or um, I'm, I have a million ideas. I'm an open, open to ideas, but I think then what, when it is like your business or your baby, or you have like something inside of you that is so fired up, then it can be so scary to um, let go and, you know, take that feedback and work with other people and use what they have to bring to the table too. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, we all, like you say, are human beings first and we face challenges. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you have made along your journey or some of the challenges that you faced as a leader and what did you learn from them? Well, always the biggest challenges, uh, and issues are around people. You know, when you make a mistake and you invite the wrong person to join your organization, how do you deal with that? You know, because you loved them coming in, I always believe you got to love them equally going out if, if they don't fit the organization. And you have to treat people with respect and dignity. And I like to say no surprises. If somebody's not performing, then, you know, you've got to talk to them early and try to help them and coach them because you own the mistake if they're not performing at the level they don't. And so I, you know, I think that, you know, mistakes I've made along the way have always been involved around, around people either keeping people too long that just couldn't get it, the job done or maybe not keeping them long enough, not having enough patience for somebody. So those are always, and those are the ones that are always heartbreaking. They're the ones that are always the toughest. I mean, I don't know any, anybody that loves to fire people or let somebody go is not, you know, it, you're not very human. It's not, it's not easy no matter what, even, even when you're mad at them, even if they've done something really bad that, is really bad on the company. You still got to love them because they're human beings and they're worthy of love. So that to me is always the biggest issue. I've made lots of tactical uh, mistakes, you know, on the way where I've done, I've made a decision about a product or something like that, that wasn't good or choosing a wrong piece of real estate or those things, but that's just part of the nature of doing business. Always the business biggest issues are around the mistakes I've made around people. And so, you know, that's always the one that I'm, I, I have learned over time to be a lot slower in making those decisions, you know, and uh, slower and faster at the same time. You know, it sounds like an oxymoron, but, you know, sometimes when somebody's not making it, you got to talk to them, try to find another place for them in your organization where they can perform, you know, and if they can't, then help them find, help them find another life, you know? Yes. Wow. Okay, so you, um, when you were at Starbucks, they started at 28, stair, 28 stores to 15,000. So I did the math. And in that 21 years that you were there and the growth of the store, that's two stores a day. Right. So how do you take a company? Because I feel like a lot of times, and, and even in, um, say, my spouse's career, when it was a small company, um, the people felt seen, they felt like 
valued. They felt like a part of the team, but as it grew, like a lot of people just feel like a number, like they're disposable. They could come and go, like they don't matter. So how do you take a company and that is a huge amount of growth. And now there's over 30,000 stores, which is insane. But how do you keep, um, that mission intact as you grow and bring in these new people? Well, you know, it's gotta be your intention. You know, I, I remember at a meeting I was at, it, it was a, uh, a program for leaders called leading from the heart. And somebody made a statement. We were talking about all the stores we had and somebody made a statement. How can we expect everybody to care? And my response was, how can we not? You, you have to expect everybody to care. And so, you know, it was like when the company was small, I probably knew every store manager by name. I knew the results of the stores, all that stuff. As it got bigger, of course, I couldn't do that. So I had to focus on certain things. I still had responsibility for the business, but I always believed that my day job was the people and my night job was the business. And, and I focused on the people. And that's what I talked about. That's what we re- what you reward and what you recognize for is what you get. And so we rewarded and recognized for treating people well. You know, with caring, with uh, with understanding, with love in your heart, and what we penalized for was not treating people well. And so it, it was hard to get fired at Starbucks for messing your numbers, but it was easy to get fired at Starbucks for messing with the people. And you know, were we perfect? Hell no. You know, they're not perfect today. You know, because human beings are human beings, and human beings make mistakes, and everybody comes with their own agendas. But but we focused on it and across the world, we focused on that. And that was us. And that was, you know, I'll give you Starbucks mission, which now you'll see where I plagiarize. So uh, Starbucks wanted to be one of the most well-known and respected organizations in the world, known for nurturing and inspiring the human spirit. Not a thing about how big we wanted to be, not a thing about how much coffee we wanted to sell, but known for nurturing and inspiring the human spirit and be respected. And that says a lot because that's what drove us. And did we always do it? No, we didn't. Uh, but we had mechanisms that would help us correct in place. And so, you know, if you, you get what you focus on, and that's what we focused on. And we focused on the people. You know, we were one of the first companies in Canada. It didn't make any difference. But, but in, in North America and other countries that don't have health insurance, we gave all our people health insurance. All part-time workers, if you work 20 hours a week or more, you got health insurance. We gave everybody equity in the company. You know, we get every now they get they can get a college degree for free online at Arizona State uh, University. And, um, you know, we we just try to do the right thing by our people. And again, you know, not perfect. And I'm sure we're open to a lot of criticism with some people. And and there have been some managers that haven't done it. But but that's what we that's our intention. And we try to stay on it all the time. And. We try to catch it when we're not doing it. Okay. That's yeah. A good way to, um, stay grounded. I think having that intention behind you. Right. So your team, like they call it like the H2O, the two Howards. And is it Oren? Is that how you say it? Yeah, it was, it was Oren. Yeah. Okay. So like, what did your team look like? Because sometimes it's, it's hard to get, you know, one, two people, to kind of, um, I don't even know, it's not even get on the same page, but sometimes 
there can be different things brought to the table, but having three of you. Competing interests, there's disagreements, there's all those things. Yes. It was an amazing group of, there was the three of us that had responsibility for the company. I mean, you know, did we do the work? No, we had people, lots of people that made it happen. You know, I like, I remember one time we were at a meeting with Howard Orrin and I, and it was the first big meeting that we had with all the store managers. There were 7,000 people that showed up. And Howard and I were just looking up. It was in a big arena. And we said, how the hell did this happen? And the truth of the matter is it happened because the people did it. It wasn't us. We, we led the way. We, we, we set the tone for values. And we, we, um, you know, we helped set the goals. But, but they did it, not us. And Howard and I and Oren, we were three individual, different individuals. All three of us though, came from a similar place. Howard was raised in an extremely poor family and housing projects outside of New York City. I was raised by depression era parents that were both immigrants to the United States, came with nothing, had nothing and found their way in life. And Oren was raised by a, a single mother head of household where the father had left, an alcoholic father had left five kids and, and, uh, and Oren's mother to raise the kids without any money. And so we all understood the difficulties in life. And so we said, we're not going to, we're not going to do this on the backs of people. We're going to do this with people. Now, Howard and I would argue about a lot of things. I mean, you know, probably, you know, I was one of the few people that could swear at him and he would put up, you know, and, and Oren was always the peacemaker. We used to call Oren the tortoise. He was always slow and methodical about his thinking and about his response. Howard and I were both emotional as hell, right? And, but we worked through it and, and God bless Howard that he put up with me all those years and uh, probably anybody else wouldn't have. And, you know, so, but we were all different, but we, we all knew where each other was on the basketball floor. So if one threw a pass, there was always somebody there to catch it. Right. And, and we always agreed that it was about people, which drove the business. We didn't agree about a lot of other things, but but we always agreed about that. Oh, I love that. Okay. So when you reflect on where you are, how far you've come and where you want to go, are there any specific questions um, that you ask yourself or we can ask ourselves um, to maybe make a deeper impact? Well, it's, you know, the question is, what do you want to leave behind? Right. If, if you are, if you have a family, what do you want to leave behind for your kids? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about what, what, what are the values you want to leave behind? What do, what do you want them to see and understand? Um, and what do you want to leave behind in your life? What do you want to contribute to this world? And how do you want to do that? And, you know, that's pretty much, you know, the questions I ask myself. I'm 77 years old. I still am working to leave behind something good if I can. That's why I do what I'm doing on podcasts because I want to talk about how to lead, you know, in a way that, that treats people with respect, with dignity, with love and caring, because I think that's the best way to create a better world. And so, you know, well, I, maybe I'll convert one person that's listening to your podcast. Maybe, you know, if I do that, that's great. I don't need more than one, you know, and if I do enough podcasts and I get one, 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 then maybe those people will do it. And so that's, that's how I try to live my life. And, um, you know, am I perfect human being? No, I'm not. I've made lots of mistakes. I continue to make mistakes. I'm still emotional. You know, I still, you know, I, I always say I love myself unconditionally. I've had that affirmation forever. And there are days when I don't love myself. I say, uh, you know, I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. There are days when I 
say I'm not enough and I don't have enough and I don't do enough. You know, that's that is life. That's being a human being. But those that's what, where I try to stay. So, you know, live your life with intention. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, it doesn't make any difference. You want to ski every day, live your have a plan for how you're going to ski every day. Right. Maybe work is not your driving force. Maybe it's being a great skier and that's what you want to do the rest of your life. So you work to live. You know, I, I kind of live to work, you know, so to speak. I live to be around people and to, it was just different and I loved it and I still love it. And it doesn't mean everything I do is work. It's not, it's all, you know, and not everything was pleasurable, but, but everything had meaning for me. And so that's, you know, like I said, if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you. So develop a plan for your life. And it's never too late or too early to start this work. I don't care if you're 90 years old. You don't know how long you're going to live. What's your intention for the next five years if you're 90 years old? Even though, you know, maybe you're not so healthy. But you can you can have an intention for that, you know. And so that's all. Whatever your age, you can always you can always do something with intention. As long as you're healthy. If you're not healthy, then all bets are off. But so that's why health is so important. Okay. A couple of things there. That's so beautiful. Like with the one person, 1%, look, there was, there was three of you. And I mean, that were leading the company and how many, a hundred thousand, I don't know how many people work for the company now, but about insane. So it's like one person who is impacted by this conversation, who will dive into servant leadership, who's going to um, change the way that they run their current company or start a business or, or lead with this intention can change and impact lives around the world. world. Uh, Whoever thought that Howard Bihar, a guy that barely got out of high school, right, that had a couple of years of community college, I was a terrible student, would ever get that opportunity. But, you know, I was lucky. But, you know, my definition of luck is where opportunity meets preparation. You know, and I was prepared and the opportunity came along and, and, you know, but I was lucky, you know, it could have been Howard and I never met again. I don't know what my life would have been like, but it happened. And, you know, here I was able to influence something because I was already a foreign person. I was 44 when I got to Starbucks. I knew what, what I believed in about leadership and how I wanted to lead an organization. So I didn't come without an opinion. And I drove that with inside of Starbucks. And it worked. You know, if it wouldn't have worked, then you wouldn't have been talking to me today. You, know? <laughs> you would have been leading another organization yeah. somewhere else with that. Who knows? But I would have been hopefully leading my life with intention. Yes. Oh, so beautiful. And so you said, you think about what do you want to leave behind? What do you want to leave behind for your children and your grandchildren? Uh, just what we've been talking about that, uh, you know, that don't just float in life. If you're going to float for a day, make that a goal. I'm floating on Saturday, right? Make that written down so you don't have to feel guilty. But, but live your life with a plan in mind and you'll never be disappointed and treat people with respect, with dignity, love people because just because they're worthy of love, they're human beings, even when they don't treat you with the same respect and dignity, do it anyway. And, uh, you know, that's what I want to leave behind. I want my kids and my grandmother and my kids are, you know, 52 and 48. So they're not kids anymore, you know, and they're leading their lives and it's my grandkids now. And so, I encourage them to be all they can be, you know, 
no more, no less. You know, they don't have to set any records. Just a live a life of love, live a life of caring, and live a life with purpose. Oh, I love that. Okay, I have a couple final questions before we kind of close off here. So the first one, it's kind of a light one. How do you like your coffee? And do you switch it up from time to time? Or do you have a usual order? I know you go to Starbucks almost on the daily. So what is your order? Triple tall Americano. It's three shots of espresso and about six ounces to six to eight ounces of water. And that's it. No sugar, no cream, no nothing. I've been drinking that forever. You know, I'm, I'm not probably in all my life at Starbucks. And maybe I had 10 frappuccinos. I used to drink cappuccinos. I like very dry cappuccinos, you know, just a little bit of foam and a shot of espresso. I still like that after dinner, particularly like that, but, but that's what I drink. I usually drink three, three of those triple tall Americanos every day. That's a lot of coffee. Oh my gosh. I was going to say like, do you do this right first thing in the morning with like the things, but you do three of them a day. I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is press the button to turn on my espresso machine. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, that will get you going through the day that that'll have you living out your life intentionally when you have that coffee to start your day and that pep in your step, then, I mean, you can take on the world and do anything. My two favorite coffees are uh, Sumatra, you know, grown in Sumatra. And my second, and my uh, other one is Ethiopian Harar. Okay. I'm going to have to check those out. Maybe one day really early, I'll uh, go get this triple Americano. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to fly. You get you almost get invisible by the time you have the third one. <laughs> okay, so um, you're talking about your mission statement, fifty words or less. Do you have it like right by you that you want to read it and share with everyone? I don't. Uh, let's see. Well, let's see. You've got my six P's. That's on the page. You've yeah. got my mission, and I'll go through my values. So, first value is honesty. The second value is trust, treating everybody with trust. The third value is love, love everybody. The fourth value is caring. The fifth value is performance. The sixth value is um, uh, brain dead. Uh, the, the sixth value is um, is patience. The seventh value is um, is um, give back. And the eighth, the eighth value is treat everybody with respect and dignity. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love those. I have, I have five currently on my list, but I feel like I could add a couple more. And they come and go, you know, I mean, sometimes you change them. They're not written in stone. None of this is written in stone. It's all written in pencil. You can erase and change anything anytime you want. Right. Yeah. So, you you know, most usually values stay with you pretty much your whole life, but, but other things can change. Yeah, Mission statement, statement has changed a couple of times. Yeah. As seasons and different experiences happen in your life, yeah. then you can change right. them to suit whatever's, yeah. Yeah. Whatever's going on. Okay. So now I got your number after listening to Ed Milet's podcast. I actually, as soon as you gave it, pause the podcast dialed you up, left you a voicemail, and then listened to the last final couple of minutes of the podcast. I'm like, so we're gonna I do have that to- again. <laughs> yes. I'm like, There's I have to talk to phone. Howard. My cell phone number is 206-972-7776. 
and my email address is hb at howardbhar.com. So I promise anybody that calls me or sends me a note, I'll always respond. Uh, you know, it may take me a while, but I always get a little slow on the uptake right now. You know, my age, it gets a little slower. And, but I always get, we'll get back to you. Okay. So when people call you, is there a common theme or common question or conversation that comes up? No, usually, I mean, there's a lot about career. You know, some people want to ask about their careers. Sometimes I just get a comment. Hey, I really love your podcast. Thank you for doing it. And I write them a little note back and say, thank you for saying that. And, uh, and sometimes it's, I mean, well, I had somebody ask me, says, well, what's your favorite stock picks? And I said, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm the worst guy at picking stocks in the world. You want to go to somebody who knows what they're doing. So I'll never give any advice that I don't know anything about. Oh my gosh. I love that. And why do you do that? Like I've just read even recently, I read this book called the go giver and it was yeah, about, Oh, such a good book. Um, and it was something about like, sometimes people who are, you know, very successful, like they just want to share their information, share their wealth, share their knowledge. And like, not a lot of people are willing to give out their phone number or their email like that, or connect with others. Like why, um, what is it about this? Why are you willing to give your number to anybody who wants to connect or talk? Remember my mission in life is to nurture and inspire the human spirit. So when people call me and want something, it gives me the opportunity to live my mission and my values. So that's, that's simple. And, and, you know, it, it's great to get feedback. I like, to, who doesn't like to get feedback, you know, and whether good, whether it's positive or constructive, you know, feedback, I like to get it. And so, you know, it's a way of me living my life. So, you know, I'm retired. I got time. You know? Oh, I love that. Yes. Okay. So if you're listening right now and you want to connect with Howard, you've got his number and his email. So shoot him a message, give him a call. Okay, my next question is you dedicated your book, It's Not About the Coffee, to Sydney, Ella, Matthew, Zoe, and Olivia. Who are they and why did you dedicate the book to them? They're my grandchildren. So the oldest one is Sydney. She's 20 years old now. Uh, the second one, Ella, she's 18. Both of them are in college. And the third, the third and fourth one is, uh, is um, Matthew and, uh, and Zoe. And they're both 16. And then there's Olivia, who's uh, 13. And there's another one that's not on that list is Joy Lynn. And Joy Lynn was kind of like our adopted grandchild. And it's kind of an interesting story if you have time. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so we had a housekeeper and who was with us for a long time and couldn't get pregnant. And Lynn and I, my wife, decided for Christmas we were going to give them fertility treatments for a gift. And she had a miscarriage with the first one and then had a baby, a baby girl. And they named her after my wife's name is Lynn. So they named her Joy Lynn. And she's, she's 13 and she is, we're so proud of her. And she's the sixth one. So. Oh, so, I just like, pulled on all my heartstrings. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and we get lots of joy from it. lots of pain. You know, I, <laughs> I, think that okay you have your kids your kids grow up you know they go on they live their life there's never any that's it you know you just have fun and games from then on it's not that way 
even my kids at 48 and 52, they all have issues they want to talk about. You know, I'm always fearful that something's going to go wrong. And my grandkids, you know, one gets sick, somebody has this or somebody has that. You know, you, it's, you think you're done with it. You're never done. Oh, wow. What a beautiful gift. That is uh, such a heart, heartwarming story. <clears throat> okay. So you came out of retirement once. And yep. you went back to Starbucks. If the call came in again, would you go back? Yeah, you bet. You know, I mean, I'm pretty old to go back. But but if they needed help, yeah, absolutely. I love Starbucks. I love the people at most. I love the people at Starbucks. Yeah, and I love why what we're there to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it. Look at I. I didn't enjoy every day. I would never lie to you and say I enjoyed every day. I didn't. There were times when I thought, can I, how much longer can I do this? And and uh, but because I traveled a lot, I was gone a lot, but, but I, I loved it. And I still am so proud of it. and still so proud of the people of Starbucks. I mean, you know, again, like I said, not a perfect organization, not perfect people. But overall, I, I look with great pride on what they've accomplished and how they've treated the people at Starbucks. Now, there'd be somebody at Starbucks today that probably disagree with me. You know, maybe wasn't treated well. And, and that's the way of life. You know, it's not. It's just everybody's got different opinions, but I'd say overall, you know, it, they would, they would agree. Okay. And so I know you have, you put your time into different organizations and, and different things. Um, do you have like a mentorship program or is that something that you would um, be open to because you have this different style of leadership that can change the world? Do you do that? Um, now or is that something that you would not on a formal basis no i mean i i there are some people that i'll help people that i've known you know i had a meeting this week with somebody that's in the pizza business has about eight restaurants and needed some you know just somebody to talk with and so i i do that informally i'm not it's not what i want to do you know it, it you have to make a commitment to do that it's not you know i i more catch as catch can and there are people that are better at it than I am that are more disciplined about it than I would be. And so they're better off to go get somebody else. There's lots of good people, but if somebody had a question about something, you know, or wanted some coaching on a particular issue. I'd give them, you know, if they asked me, I'll certainly give them my opinion. Yeah. You know, okay. To try to help. Not, not on a formal basis. No. Yeah. Maybe that would take the fun out of it. You can just share your knowledge through podcasts and through your, yeah. your conversations. Yeah. Um, so you earlier said something about like nurturing yourself. You have to take care of yourself. Right. So what are some of the things that you do to take care of you or that light you up? Well, you know, affirmations are really important to me. And uh, I still do affirmations in particular those two that I said, love myself unconditionally. And I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. Uh, you know, I've had other affirmations such as I always complete that, which I begin. I look and feel good at 155 pounds, which by the way, I haven't been at for a long time. I keep trying to get back there. It's hard, even with that affirmation forever. But affirmations have been important. I think affirmations are a great tool to change yourself. They work. And, and if you stay with them long enough, they'll work. Not everyone, you know, but usually when you don't achieve, complete something that you're affirming about, it means that you're just not committed, you know? So, uh, so that, that, is a way that I do it. And then, you know, I, I talk to people just like we're doing now. I listen, I listen to Ed Millett. I, I listen to other people that are doing podcasts and, and friends and I ask for advice. And I'm, I'm, I'm a curious guy. 
you know, I'm curious. And so I, I have always been curious. So I love to know about what other people are doing in life and what, what, what that's working for them, what isn't working for them. And so I continue to do that. I just try to live my life with that kind of energy, you know, and hopefully I'll live a long time. And then I have the, I have a fantastic partner in my life, Lynn. And she, Lynn and I, uh, this was our second marriage. We each brought a child into our marriage when they were young. And, and we've been married 45 years. And uh, Lynn, uh, Lynn has just, is she smarter than hell? And she, she is like me. She wants to help people. We do it in different ways. Lynn is an oncology social worker. So she worked with people that had cancer, were dying of cancer maybe, and with the families that are dealing with those issues. I don't know how she did it. I could never do that work. I mean, I'd be in tears the whole time, but she found a way to do it. And so, and then she wrote the leading handbook for oncology social workers in the world with two other social workers. And it's one of those big textbooks, you know, it's about a foot by 18 <laughs> isn't that thick it's a great doorstop you know but you know it's uh, she's she's an amazing person so you know this cope with living through covid you know we were home together the whole time we had never been like that before and you know we started cooking all our meals together and it's amazing after 45 years what we learned about each other so you know i do that and my grandkids and my kids you know my kids now give me advice you know i don't give them advice you know and i call them up and ask them what do you think i should do and they tell me you know, and uh, I'm not here to tell them what to do anymore. They don't need that. And uh, it would never have worked anyway, even when they were young. You know, I have this quote that I love, compassionate emptiness means being full of compassion, but empty of solutions. It took me a long time to learn that one. When my wife would come home with other problems, I thought she wanted me to tell her what to do. Lo and behold, she didn't. She just wanted me to listen. And my kids were the same way. And it took me forever till that quote came along. Once that quote came along, I got it. Oh, okay. Noted. Just, um, I know sometimes you want to like throw out all the solutions out there, but yeah. 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 Okay. So anything, any final words that you want to leave us with before we sign off today? Live your life with intention, write down your plan, write down your values, write down your mission statement and write down how you want to live your life and then look at it often and do it. And if you don't like something on the list, change it. And remember, you're never too old or too young to, 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 to begin anew. Absolutely. I absolutely love that. And I'm in alignment with that. I feel like at 95, I still want to be learning and growing and evolving. Yeah. And there's, it's never too late. And I love how you say this because I, I do believe it, but I haven't really said it out loud a lot, but it's, it's never too early. Some of the people that yeah. I've connected with that are so young and doing some of these phenomenal things. Like it's, it's never too early to start. It's never too late to start. So yeah. All right. Wow. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. I've absolutely loved connecting with you and I can't wait to share um, all of this knowledge with all of the people out there. And if one person um, makes a shift in their life, then that will just it's all have been, been great. Life. That's been great. Thanks, Candace, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.